All right, everybody, welcome back to a long-awaited Kente Corner. We are back. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft. I'm with Andrew Geiger, Casual Hoya. Andrew, I can't believe it's been so long. It seems like it's like it's been months and months. I know the people are just actively out there, just pounding their fists. They want Kente Corner. I'm so glad you can make it back. What's going on? Yeah, happy summer. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've had to drop your kid off at sleepaway camp for the first time. Um, I wasn't, so my oldest is now eight, and uh, I had no warning about how difficult that was going to be. Um, for you or the kid? Uh, well, more so for the wife um, okay. than me, but that was a decidedly non-casual experience. Um, so for anyone out there that uh, you know that's coming up in your life, just just be prepared because you know for us it was the first time that I guess he's going to be away for a while. This is only a two-week thing, but it was pretty difficult. I'll tell you what, I got a four-year-old that I would love to drop off somewhere for two weeks. You know, that that's what my thinking was, too. Um, <laughs> and now that it, it's been a few days later, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, but just the actual, you know, dumping your kid off. And I guess because of COVID, they had all these protocols where it was literally just like a get out of the car, kid. You know, we'll see you in two weeks, as opposed to your being able to, well, imagine moving into college, you know, and I'm sure maybe your parents or whatever, like, helped you move into your dorm room. They helped you unpack and did all this stuff. That's generally how it is, I guess, in summer camp for sleepaway camp. And this year, because of COVID protocols, we just kind of said, okay, you know, there's like a drop-off zone, and you turn around and leave. So it was a little bit difficult. But, you know, that's just that was just my experience. Maybe it's different for others. But anyway, we can get on to Georgetown basketball now. No, I think that's great. And um, for the people that don't know, I wanted, we are recording this on Thursday afternoon. I hope to have it up later today. But we over here, Kente Corner headquarters, are um, we've got another kid coming in the next two weeks. So oh. we, yeah. So while we haven't been doing these, it's probably not going to really ramp up, if you know what I mean. <laughs> for you know, as we get closer to August, assuming that there's no Kenner League, which I check every day, they're not Kenner League's not been listed. There's like an NCAA website where you can check who's filed for the you know the proper paperwork. Um, it'd be very Kenner League or, you know, Nike City Pro League, whatever they call it, to wait till the last minute. But I don't think we're going to have a lot of a lot of Kenner League talk. But, yes, just mm-hmm. so we're giving family updates, that's my big family update. Yeah, but, um, well, congrats, congrats on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, team no sleep for sure. Uh, <laughs> but um, regarding Kenner, yeah, I, at, at this point, I, I don't have my hopes up either. It would have been nice to see some of the – the youngins in action, you know, in the next few weeks for sure. But I guess there's just too many logistics involved for them to pull it off. Yeah, not surprising. I think we'll all just be happy if we can attend games in the beginning of November. Yeah, and that seems like it should be a full go. Um, most stadiums are now saying they're coming back at full capacity. So I would expect nothing different for, for the Hoyas next season. Uh, What what might be interesting is if they actually have more games at home and on campus uh, or or just completely shift everything back to Cap 1. I thought the games were kind of nice at uh, at McDonough, but, you know, that remains to be seen also. Yeah, I mean, we could do do a whole hour episode on the pluses and minuses of playing most of their games at McDonough. And then, you know, there's apparently there's this contract, but it always seems to come back to certain people saying, well – 
they can't have a Villanova-like situation where Villanova basically plays all their games in a nicer on-campus arena, but on campus, and it's smallish. I've been there. Uh, um, and they they, yeah. they only play maybe like five or so games at the NBA arena, which if you're being honest about Georgetown basketball, that's kind of what makes the most sense for them, particularly mm-hmm. in the Big East post-realignment. I don't think that that's possible, but maybe we can dig deeper into that as, as we get. But yes, I think I, an ideal setup, and this wasn't on my notes, but this is a good topic. I, and I think an ideal setup would be more of what Villanova does, and we can get into the whole McDonough's not big enough stuff. But I mean, I don't know how big the fan base is at this point. So, so yeah. Yeah, but, I, I, actually, and that's, that's a good segue because the, the last time I went to a game at Villanova, it was in, it was at the, Pavilion, right? That's the on-campus arena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it featured the 2007, uh, eventually Final Four Hoyas, featuring Jeff Green. Oh my God! Hey, so look, I don't know what you think, and I know that if you tell people, "Hey, give me your Mount Rushmore of Georgetown basketball," and I think it fills itself out pretty quick, right? You go Ewing, you go Iverson, you throw Morning and Matumbo in there maybe some squabbling over like Sleepy Floyd or Reggie Williams. I tell you what, man, I think it's harder. I can make a great case for Jeff Green to be on there. Okay. And let me just get out what I want to get out first. And then you can tell me where I'm right, wrong, or in the middle, but Mm -hmm. look at this. Okay. So he commits to Eshrick. He stays during a coaching change, which was a huge win. Syracuse was just, they were sharks at that point because I think Jeff Green had to maybe take, um the SATs a couple times he was kind of like a late qualifier from what I remember okay and he ended up kind of blowing up so he you know he was he was local he was you know what we always talk about local so he helped get it going you know I know it's 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 I guess popular to sort of remember the JT three years as not being good and I remember it completely different very good particularly for the first 10 years and Jeff Green was such a big part of that he won a big east tournament they won the big east regular season they went to a final four. I mean, they went to the sweet 16. And then when you look at the NBA, he's a top five pick. I know he's become a journeyman. I mean, they cut this guy open. They had a, you know, they cut him open. He had heart surgery. He missed a year and he helped LeBron get back to the finals a couple years ago. And what he did the other night is just unbelievable. So I think you could really, and there's no other Georgetown players in the NBA. I know Otto Porter's there. I don't know what's going on with our, with our guy, Otto. It hasn't been working out, but Jeff Green for a once proud university, Georgetown of multiple players in the NBA, it's basically Jeff Green and that's it. And he's carrying the flag so well, just waiting and maybe it'll be Muhammad, but just waiting for someone to join him so he can just say, hey, look here, you know, now you're the Georgetown guy in the NBA. So I really think he's on the Mount Rushmore. Uh, If Mount Rushmore had more than, you know, five, (laughs) I I would agree with you. Um, I agree with everything you said. Uh, I'm not ready to put him up there just yet, but I, I do agree he is. I, I mean, he's impossible not to root for. Um, and everything that he's been through, you know, with, with the surgery and um, just bouncing around so many teams, he, to, to watch that performance in Game Six the other night, I mean, you couldn't help just have a smile on your face. You know, I was I looked back at the that 2007 draft because a lot of people think, oh, you know, he's a top five pick. He's never really lived up to the expectations. And I actually, I'm looking at it now. Okay. At, at that at that draft, um, and so the first pick that year was Odin, 
Okay, so mm-hmm. <laughs> second pick was Durant. Third pick, Horford, who, uh, you know, he's had a nice career, uh, but he's on the decline. And, I mean, Memphis, was it Memphis? Basically told him, you know, paid him not to play the last half of the season. I think it was Memphis, whatever, wherever he is now. Uh, Conley was the fourth pick. Uh, Conley's had a, a great career, all-star. Green five. After that top five, it gets really, really, really sketchy. The sixth pick was Yi John Lan. If you remember, that he's the uh, the famous Chinese player whose draft videos included him like being defended by a chair. Yeah. Um, and I guess he 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 wowed in that and was picked sixth overall. Corey Brewer went seventh. Who's now in coaching. Uh, Brandon Wright, UNC. Joaquin Noah uh, had a nice spurt for a few years, but he's out of the league. Spencer Hawes. A.C. Law, Thaddeus Young, Julian Wright. I mean, all these guys are, are long gone. I, I went through the entire draft, including the second round, and I'm only seeing maybe a couple guys that are even still in the league. Um, Marco Bellinelli, <laughs> you know, sharpshooter who's been around for a while. He was the 18th pick. Jared Dudley, I, I guess he's still kicking around. He's the 22nd pick. Um, and then I think you get into the – the second round, interestingly, Mark Gasol, the 48th pick by the Lakers, ironically enough, um, I think he's the only guy left in the league. So, yeah. you know, when you, when, when you look at, at, at that 2007 draft and you, you say, oh, well, Jeff Green maybe he's not even worthy of that top five pick, I, I, I don't think that's a good argument to have. I mean, the fact that he's carved out this such a, a, a long – career. I'm uh, sure he's been a journeyman for a bit, but um, yeah, I think he's, he's certainly been worth it. Um, it. What's interesting to me about Green is he's never had that big payday. Um, it, I, I mean, he's made something like $75 million <laughs> over the course of his career, which certainly isn't bad, but I think his, his biggest contract was when he was signed by Orlando back in 2016. Yeah, it looks like he got a $15 million contract by Orlando. But for the past few years, he's played for, like, the league minimum. Um, and yet he is clearly one of the best glue guys in the league. Um, you know, guys like LeBron and Durant talk about how valuable he is. And, uh, you know, it's just great to see him performing at the level that he still can. And he's still posterizing dudes. I mean, I didn't, I, when I was watching Jeff Green at Georgetown, I didn't think of him as, like, this elite dunker, right? I mean, he was a, a athletic post player for sure um, yeah. who could shoot, but he gets to the league and he is just jumping over dudes. <laughs> and he's still doing it. Uh, so it's great to see. So to answer your question, Mount Rushmore, Apoya Grapes, not quite, but certainly up there. Um, and if you were going to build another mountain, um, I, I think he'd certainly be on it. Yeah. Um, just a fact check. I know somebody will love to tweet at me. Um, you mentioned Horford. Uh, from covering the NBA like I do for the AP, I'm pretty sure he was on OKC. They told him to sit. Um, yeah. But, um, I'd, so I'd, I'd just, rather pay you not to play. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, again, I'll just we – can, we, we can move on from this. For my Jeff Green argument, what I would say is, you know, obviously Ewing and Iverson go up there immediately. Like, there's no doubt about it. But when you actually look at team success, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, he yeah. had more team success than the other two players that I think immediately get thrown up there, which are Morning and Matumbo. 
mm-hmm. there's reasons why the team's success wasn't there. There was a real lack of guards. Alonzo had some really good success as a freshman. Um, you know, Matumbo only played three years. Um, I think a lot of the morning and Matumbo stuff is what we think about from what they did in the NBA. And believe it or not, mm-hmm. after this regular season, and keep in mind, Jeff Green missed a whole season because of his heart surgery. There's only two players that have played more NBA games uh, for former Hoyas, and that is that's Dikembe and that is Patrick. So he's actually played more NBA games than Iverson at this point, than Sleepy Floyd, than Alonzo Mourning. And I think that's something that most people don't understand. I'm not trying to say he's a better NBA player than those players, okay? I'm not trying to make that. But I just think that there is, you know, a lot, a lot of times when they, they do, you know, you get in these arguments for most valuable player, and it's not maybe necessarily like the best player, but it's the player that, you know, was most valuable. Like you take him away and something doesn't happen. But I just think that Jeff Green has a real big spot because of what I laid out in the beginning of my, you know, my thought on him was that like he stayed to bridge that gap between Esherick and JT3. He was part of what we all remember as such a great period of, you know, fear is back, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he's still going. So yeah, it, yeah it's, I, I, I love it. Know. I mean, you know, I think on a longevity thing, I mean, Othello Harrington played 12, 13 years in the NBA too. Um, but there's just, there's just something about Jeff. The Nets are, for, for if you're not a Brooklyn fan, they're, they're sort of unlikable, right? You know, you, yeah. um, but I'm rooting for them to win just because of Jeff Green. And I think that's, that's a sentiment shared, perhaps not just by Hoyas fans. Yeah. Okay, so a lot's happened. I think that we don't need to get into um, real deep into it, but I want to say between me and you, I don't think either of us thought that we were going to see Blair, Pickett, or Belay come back, and that's all been confirmed since last time we've spoken, so this is not breaking news. Did you have any thoughts on either of those? Did you think any of them were going to come back? I didn't. No, and frankly, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, look, I obviously appreciate everything that they did to for the school, for the program, winning the biggest tournament. Um, but uh, absolutely, I think, I think we'll we may have some struggles early on next season. But big picture, I think it'll be better for the development of everyone on the team next year that um, that they're moving on. Yeah. Uh, some more housekeeping. I don't uh, a little a little bit of a surprise here. So right away. I know that when we had Ben on uh, last off season and um, one of the other guys from the athletic uh, Eamon Brennan, I, I think they, they did a poll. I think all four of us were on and Jamari Sibley was, it was like, I think the question, I think you might've, you know, actually I think you said Kudis, but the question was who are you most excited about for next season? And they threw Sibley in there just because if you just didn't know anything about anything, Sibley was their highest rate of recruit. He was a four star. He was top 100. I know our guy, Nolan was very, sort of cautious like look it's going to take a while for this guy he was hurt he's got the tools but he's not a finished product um i thought pretty early on i think sibley didn't play in the first three games and his minutes never really picked up that to me looked like a guy for sure like you know in 2021 guys like that just don't stick around so i wasn't surprised when he left it was it happened a little bit later than i thought i am pretty surprised though he's going to utep what were your thoughts on sibley yeah, I thought he'd, he'd get more interest by some of the bigger name programs, yeah. perhaps uh, in, in the D.C. area, for sure, who, who may have been more, you know, in tune with his recruitment. Um, but, you know, 
these kids are going to want to go where they're going to get the most minutes and the playing time and opportunity. I guess UTEP um, sold them on that. So, you know, more power to them. I wish them nothing but, but you know, but the best. I, uh, it, what can you say? Do I, do I wish he was still on the team? Sort of, but I understand where he's coming from. and He's just not going to get the same opportunity anymore. It seemed like Ewing had justifiable reasons for not playing him or giving him minutes. Um, you know, we saw Holloway get minutes over him last season. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what time will tell what happens with Jamari Sibley. UTEP is an odd destination, but if that's going to give him the best opportunity to uh, get some more eyeballs on him, then more power to him. Yeah, no, I think, and let me just wrap up with Sibley. When he didn't play in the first three games, and I think we start asking you in questions and I think I asked if there were, you know, I asked if he was injured, you know, because that's the only thing that made sense to me. Because you know, Belay was injured for the first game. We saw Kobe Clark start, which was like, wow. I don't think, okay, you know, that's yeah. a little bit of a curveball, Patrick. Okay, and then you know, everyone fell in love with Kobe Clark real quick. We didn't see him play a lot. And then you're right, towards the end of the year, when they needed when they needed minutes from someone that wasn't part of the regular rotation, he fell in love with Colin Holloway, who I kind of. I'm not saying they're the same, but it sort of reminded me a little bit of Jarrell Benjamin of a player that wasn't very highly thought of as, you know, in the recruiting world that the coach trusted, you know, for whatever reason. So I wasn't surprised at all. And for everybody, you get four more years. So for Jamari Sibley, he's got his Big East tournament hat. He's got his ring. And now he gets four years at UTEP to try and show the world, you know, what he's all about. So not surprised at all. And, and, um, and you know, I, I think the, head, the headline is, you know, Ewing loses four-star recruit. I, honestly, I, I, that's not the way I see it. If he, if he right. came in and, and showed ability and showed um, that he was ready to play at this level, then he would have played. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with three-star, four-star, whatever, I mean, these are determinations being made by, you know, people in their underwear sitting in their mom's basement. I mean, if, <laughs> so – Again, it, I, I'm not losing sleep over losing Jamari Sibley. Um, no, 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 no. So, yeah. No, I just, I just, you know, it's just, it's, it's. We haven't talked in months. It's just one of the major things that happened. I will say this. Uh, I don't know if you got sucked in at the end to the Patrick Baldwin, the whole Duke Georgetown and his dad. You know, mm-hmm. I thought it was always a weird thing. You know, as we know, I'm still traumatized by the Nerlens Noel uh, commitment, which was like almost 10 years ago now, but it was just hard to see one ESPN embarrassing Duke, which I guess it's not embarrassing them, but he did, you know, so I was kind of like, he's going to go up there and pick coach K, which coach K is leaving anyway. Um, his dad is the other person, which is like, why did you string out your recruitment? And then Georgetown is this, this team that's like, man, like, you know, so I think a lot of people did start to believe at the end, I needed to hear him say it. So I wasn't surprised by that, but I did think maybe Sibley was going to maybe join Baldwin in playing at Milwaukee for his dad. Did you ever get caught up in the Baldwin hype even at the end? Generally, I don't get caught up in recruiting. Um, you know, unless the kid comes out and says Georgetown's in his final three, I guess that's when I'll start paying attention. And that's when, uh, yeah. So, so when, when Baldwin did have us in his top three, that's when I started, you know, looking at it more. Um, I know there are people on Twitter, Hoyas fans, um, you know, who get really caught up on it. If some kid is visiting, you know, they, they go nuts. That stuff doesn't really register on any sort of scale for me, again, until they cut their list to the final three. It seemed to me with Baldwin that um, playing for his dad was kind of a, a no-brainer. I think there were some conversations that the, the dad might leave yeah. the, head, the head coaching gig there 
And frankly, that might have been a signal for Georgetown to hire him as an assistant. Um, I, I don't know if any of that conversation, if those conversations ever took place, but those are the kinds of moves that I would love to see Georgetown getting involved in, you know? Um, you know, hiring, and it's not like he doesn't know any X's and O's. I mean, he's a, he's a, a coach. Um, you know, those kinds of things, you know, making those kinds of moves that you see other schools making in order to land big recruits. Um, I haven't seen that at a Georgetown just yet. Uh, but I, I didn't really think – I thought that Georgetown was a distant third in those top three with Milwaukee and then, you know, perhaps Duke being second. Yeah, it, it was definitely fun at the end, I suppose, when you look, there's only other, you know, nowadays, when I started doing recruiting stuff about 10, 12 years ago, you would usually get like a, you know, a top 10 and then you get a top five. Now it just yeah. seems like you get like, everyone comes out with like a, like a final eight or a final 12. And you're like, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to even, I think to get excited about that. Cause you're like, you have to basically beat out an entire conference for a kid to, <laughs> to end up, to end up picking you. But I think when you get, you know, when like Baldwin, who's considered one of the top two or three players in the, in the class, when you get down to the final three, you're like, look, this has to be serious. And yeah. then when you look at what Georgetown already is bringing in, everyone's already excited anyway. It, you know, it was, I think, I think most people did get a chance to, to make that dream, which, you know, at the end of the day, this is supposed to be fun. If you're a Georgetown fan, if you're Georgetown following, you're listening to this, you know, you want to, you want to believe that those things are real. And to be in a top three, I think is impressive considering the other two guys were his dad and coach K. <laughs> Yeah, no, no doubt. And obviously I would have been, you know, overjoyed to have him commit to Georgetown. But like you said, having your dad and then Coach K, um, <laughs> those, those seem to be two pretty large hurdles to overcome. Right, right. <laughs> hey, hey, so you bring up a you bring up another good transition in that we just saw something very interesting happen in college basketball, and it's local. I know you're not local, but for the D.C. area fans, and I'm sitting here in Kente Corner, headquarters local we saw the dematha coach who did a great job succeeding a legend which is not very easy to do as we know okay we saw mike jones who took over for morgan wooten and virginia tech decided to make that hire now he's not even just an assistant he's the associate head coach and one of the things and again, every time I bring this up, I always like to put out there first. I'm not advocating that anyone loses their job. And generally, when coaching changes happen on the assistant level, they usually end up in other places. It's not like you go from being an assistant coach. Usually you get picked up somewhere else, whether it's up or down, depending on how you're looking at, at, at the move. One of the things we haven't seen from Georgetown under Patrick Ewing, and I have a theory on this, we haven't seen an assistant coaching change, which is really unusual. It just is, but usually because, you know, there's another opportunity the coach wants to go to or the head coach says, hey, you know what? Things aren't perfect. Let's shake it up a little bit. And Patrick would know he was an assistant coach for a lot of different NBA teams. It's very normal for assistants to kind of, you know, be very, very, very transient. Um, what do you think about what Virginia Tech did and just sort of big picture, you know, is this is this something you would like Georgetown to explore, you know, going forward, like this creative way to add to your staff and to make yourself more attractive for the big recruits? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I, I you know just mentioned that sort of thing with uh, the Milwaukee coach, if that would have helped land Baldwin. I think Georgetown needs to, you know, think outside the box a little bit uh, with their, their, their coaching staff members. I'm curious to hear your take as to why Ewing has, has kept that group intact since he since he started. 
Is it anything more than just loyalty? And getting it, you know, in, we've had years now, and particularly this year, even though it was on Zooms, I felt like we got to know Patrick pretty well. I thought Georgetown did a good job with the Zooms. And even though he was an assistant, he was never a college assistant, but he was an MBA assistant. So I know that those duties are a little bit different. They're not, you know, it's not like they're out there recruiting, right? They're just working on, you know, getting guys ready um, in the short time they have in between flying all around the country. I think Patrick, at the end of the day, when I've tried to ask him assistant coach questions in the past, I think at the end of the day, he feels like it's all up to him. So I think he's got the superstar mindset, like when he was with the Knicks, you know, we could argue about was, you know, was their roster ever good enough to really give him a chance against Jordan um, and the Bulls, even though they they did come very close, you know, multiple times. I think he's got, and going back to Georgetown, I think he is the man, he is the guy. And now he's the coach at Georgetown. So I think, not that he doesn't, and I don't know his relationship with the coaches. Obviously, you know, he's got something with Orr going back and, you know, Kirby and um, Waheed were, had been part of Georgetown staffs, you know, before Patrick was there. He might have known them a little bit. But I think I think at the end of the day, he feels like it's all up to him. And you see it a lot. You see him listed as like, you know, the the, the closer on, on a lot of these kids. So I think <laughs> I think he's just got that attitude of like, look, these assistants are fine. At the end of the day, it's all up to me. I don't think that's. Uh, I don't think there's any college basketball coach that would think differently. Uh, you know, they're they're the sort of the, the president of the organization um, and, and the program, so to speak. And Ewing obviously is a, given his credentials, should ultimately be the closer. Um, I think that's a little short-sighted. I think that um, you need to use your assistants to the best of their abilities, and each assistant can have. Uh, unique ability and bring a lot to the bench, you know, whether it's just not just X's and O's, but of course with recruiting. Um, and I think they need to be evaluated. Uh, I, I don't know if there's even an evaluation process after each season that you puts them through, or it's just like, you know, these are my guys and three secrets in, that's what's going to happen. Um, I guess I can, I guess I'll, let me just try and give a specific example of when I tried to get him to say something about the assistants when they made the tournament. They came out of nowhere. They had, you know, this incredible four days in New York that unfortunately none of us could be at. And so they make the tournament for the first time in Patrick's four years. And we all sort of look at Louis Orr as, you know, we've seen guys like him before. Like, we, you know, at St. John's, they had, uh, Mullen had Gene Cady. We've seen, you know, we've seen other coaches lean on um, assistants that had spent a lot of time as head coaches. And so I said, hey, you know, hey, Patrick, you know, now that you're in this situation, is this what Louis Orr was, is this what he's about? Like he can tell you and, you know, you know, let you know about things with the NCAA tournament. You can like rely on him for just, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, Patrick doesn't know what to do, but is this one of the benefits of having a guy like Louis Orr, an experienced former head coach? He led St. You know, he led Seton Hall to the NCAA tournament. You know, he'd been coaching in college a lot more. And Patrick was basically like, I know what to do. You know, it's just another game. And I'm like, all right. Okay, yeah. you know, so I, I kind of gave him a chance to like really speak about Louis Orr and how great he is and how much his, you know, his experience and wisdom is going to come into this. So I just think that that's his general attitude. And I don't I don't think, it, you know, I, I, I understand it. He's he's been the man since he was that's 18. Fair. That, that's fair. Here's the way I look at it. If your coaches aren't guys that other teams are knocking on their doors and wanting to hire. Yeah, then. That's that might be a problem, right? Now, Kirby, I, I know. I mean, Kirby's a, 
killer recruiter. He's a guy that if Georgetown, if you were to leave Georgetown, he he'd leave for you know he'd be wooed by a, a big name program, no doubt. Um, I don't know about the other guys. So yeah. um, you know, look, they're coming off a, a Big East tournament championship. <laughs> Everything's fine, uh, but you can always look to improve. Um, and you know, I, the, the tournament championship t- kind of came out of nowhere. If they had lost in that, you know, first couple rounds of the of the Big East tournament, would we still have the same staff? Probably, and I'm not sure that's right. So, you know. Yeah, I just you know I think like we can look back. Um, guys kind of move around, which is just normal. Like when you look at JT three staff, guys came and went. You know, when they had a lot of success in the beginning, you know, Brodus mm-hmm. got a head coaching job. Yeah. Um, Johnson got a head coaching job, you know, Brennan got a head, you know, so when you do well, like, like you said, other, other schools want your assistance. And on the flip side, when you kind of struggle and you're mediocre, which is what they've been, you know, some, a lot, a lot of times coach looks around and says, Hey, you know, um, I was talking to so-and-so and maybe it'd be best if you, if you went over here for a little bit and I'm going to pull this guy in. And, you know, I think a lot of us thought that was going to happen the year that COVID hit. And then mm-hmm. basically the big coaching convention known as the final four didn't happen, you know? Right. So that kind of changes things. Obviously the tournament was different again this year. So maybe that's part of it, but you do, you know, you either lose coaches because you're doing so well or you change coaches up because things aren't going the way that you would like, you know? And just as an example, Kevin Sutton, who my guy, yep. he's a JMU guy. He was, he worked his way up. He did a lot of high school stuff and he ended up at GW. Then he obviously mm-hmm. got a promotion at the time coming to Georgetown. And then, you know, I guess you can decide if you think Pitt is a step up. If you're all about the power five, okay, he's, you're now you're in the ACC. Then he went to Rhode Island and now he is at obviously a step down. He got, he got linked up with David Cox, another former Georgetown assistant. And then now he's at Florida Gulf coast, right? Which I don't think you can look as a step up. Right. So, I mean, that's just an example, you know, Anthony Solomon, who was also a JT three guy. Um, he ended up, he ended up at Dayton. He got the associate job. Uh, now he's back at Notre Dame for his third tour of duty, but it's just, it's just kind of normal for there to be changes. And again, I, I'm not, I don't want any of these guys to go without a job or anything, but I just think when you look at it from a macro level, it's normal to have more movement on your staff. And well, it's, the, flip, it's, the, flip, the flip side of that is, you, if if there were an opening, you also wonder what what coach would even want to come to Georgetown if if that's Ewing's attitude, right? Because ultimately, you want to develop a coaching tree. That's you you, you know, there's no one currently on Ewing's staff that I would suggest is is head coach ready or even close to be head coach level at, at any level. Well, I so, think, I think, I think Orr could do it if he had to. Well, but he's already, he's already done that. I mean, yeah. you know, up and coming, up and coming new guys, I guess yeah. is, is what I'm talking about. If, if Ewing's thing is, you know, the, the buck stops with me, I'm going to have my hands in everything. Um, I don't know if that sends signals that they, to people potentially even interested in a, in a Georgetown gig. Um, about their ultimate ability to develop as an assistant coach. Um, well, like I said, that that's just my best guess because yeah. it's hard to look at it. You know, when you look at it and you look at a program that's, you know, been kind of stuck in neutral, um, they haven't really been a bubble team yet. And you think it's just natural to make, to have some sort of movement. So 
that's just my 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 best guess is that and my second best guess is covid maybe put you know a hamper into a possible plan that's all i can come up with yeah i mean i think that's fair um hey so thanksgiving i don't know about you you just talked about your family i talked about my family for a second i was jazzed up man to go to this tournament in orlando i was I pumped I, w- I was looking at like the star wars crap down there in orlando like i was called like, oh, man i can i can i i can sell this i can sell this and georgetown's not in that tournament anymore instead they are going out to uh the wooden legacy which they were supposed to be in last year which would have been a great field of uva kansas and ucla and georgetown so all four of those teams made the tournament ucla almost won a national championship somehow they are now going to be in a field with uh our friend at usc andy enfield who is at gulf coast san diego state and st joe's while it's not the best field it's definitely nice to be in one of these you know little tournaments what are your thoughts about that and were you from new orleans thinking of going to orlando well i'm a i'm a huge disney guy um so yes i i was definitely excited to go to orlando i'm sure a lot of Hoya fans you know, making that trip down from D.C., it's much easier. Um, it, it, that would have been fantastic. Uh, unfortunately, it, it didn't turn out to be. Um, the, the, the field is worse. I mean, let, let's say we had two games out there, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to look at Georgetown's non-conference that we know about already. You've got the new South Carolina game that was just announced. You've got, let's say it's USC and – St. Joe's or whatever. Right. And then you got Syracuse, uh, TCU, right? Yeah. Um, any other, I guess what I'll call high majors. They've got six games left, Mike. I think, I think when you look at their schedule, I think you're going to just, you're going to be filling it in with like the navies and UMBCs and possibly right. worse, which is about what you expect. So I yeah. think the schedule overall is good. I'm just personally, I know Anaheim, there's Disneyland. Look, we're not going to Anaheim, all right? Yeah, we're going to go I'm, to Disney. Uh, yes, Disney World for me, uh, I made the drive. It's a nine-hour drive from Orlando to New Orleans. I did that last time, and it was surprisingly casual. Uh, but I'm not going to go out to Disneyland. There, there are certain things that Disney World has to offer, including uh, <laughs> being in the vicinity of you know, Epcot and uh, Hollywood Studios and Universal and, and whatnot. Um, that's, you know... Anaheim, I guess there's Legoland out there. Um, new Legoland in New York, by the way. Uh, but uh, yeah, I digress. I'm not going to go to the, the tournament out in Anaheim. Uh, I was looking forward to Orlando, but that's fine. I, I also saw news that uh, of that new Nike tournament. I think that was that going to be next year. Oh, the, please, for the love of God, <laughs> play in that. Right. So it's PK80 that we famously dropped out of. And now I guess it's going to be the PK-85. It's yeah. been five years. Jeez. Yeah. Um, and uh, hopefully we burn those bridges and we, we get an invite. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that will be something that should be fun and that I'd, I'd like to go to. Yeah, I've been out to Portland a few times. It is pretty awesome. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, for the love of God. And the thing was, you know, I know it's a coaching change and what's the roster going to be like. And, I mean, honestly, that roster, when you look back at it, you know, what wasn't as, you know, you had Derrickson, you had Govan. I mean, you, you know, it was okay. You know, I mean, and the fact that DePaul was the one that came in and took their spot, you know, you're like, look, 
I think you're capable of playing in this tournament. So yes, that would be something really to look forward to um, in the 2022-23 season. I hope to God that they are in that. That would be really, really nice. Um, but I think I think the South Carolina news was pretty cool because yeah. I was thinking with seven games left on their schedule that those are going to be filled out with your you know, Howard, American, blah, 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 whatever. South Carolina, you know, they went to the Final Four a couple years ago. Um, it also gave me a reason to post one of my more favorite endings was uh, Braswell 3 at the buzzer down at South. And that wasn't at the buzzer. It was like two seconds left. But, you know, what I mean, it was effectively was at the buzzer. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I, you know, I, I know this happened during the pandemic when we were doing all those bracket shows. Man, I, I guess maybe because of my age, I was in college at the time, not at Georgetown, but... I just have such a love for those Braswell Sweetney teams. And they're, I think they're made even better by what's happened recently, if that makes any sense. It does. And you do have that love for those, uh, that era. Um, <laughs> you know, my, my best recollection from that era is certainly going to the, I think it was the NIT final, Georgetown St. John's um, yeah. in the garden, the Marcus Hatton, uh, Mike Sweetney. That was, that was, that was just awesome. And, you know, it, that whole experience in the garden um, really has me looking forward to uh, attending this next upcoming Big East tournament where we'll be the uh, defending champions. It'll be nice to be the defending champions. And if you follow me at Bobby Bancroft, I did. And I think, uh, I think Whipple included my tweet on the casual site about that game. But one of my favorite parts of the end of that game is one, Trenton Hillier was playing like most of the game down the stretch, which, I'm sure there was a reason, but it's definitely pretty funny. And two, Eshrick called a timeout just to let Braswell do what he was going to do regardless. Like, he just came down, dribbled it, did a little crossover, banged along too. Like, what do you think he was going to do? Like, that's what he was going to do. So yeah, that's, just... why, that, that's why Eshrick was next level, man, because <laughs> he's thinking that's what South Carolina's thinking he's going to do. You know, so you call the timeout, and then he does it anyway. So it's just, I, was like, what? I, I think I, I even tweeted at Nolan. I was like, hey, man, like, look at this clip. Like, why did they call timeout for this? Like, Nicole, <laughs> I mean, how many times did we see Braswell do that? And it wasn't always successful, but you knew what he was going to do. And I mean, I just, I loved Kevin Braswell as a player. It was yeah, great. I'm sure, I'm sure Braswell would appear on your own Mount Rushmore. I mean, I'll say this. He is on the Mount Rushmore of most underappreciated Hoyas of all time. I don't think there's I don't think there's conversation for another pod, but yeah. Any doubt about that. Um I wanted to talk about the current recruiting. Georgetown's been linked with a ton of top guys in the 2022 and 23 class with unofficial visits, with official visits. Um they're doing pretty they're doing pretty well there. I'm not gonna get into the nuts and bolts of every single player, but I wanted to bring up a big topic, which is Donovan Clinigan. And he is a top 50 recruit in 2020. He's a big man. Um, Georgetown's not in his final three. He has a top eight, which is just a ton of schools. Okay. Um, I'm still a little surprised that we haven't seen Matumbo's coming. Matumbo was ranked 110. I'm a little in Wahab was 136. I'm a little surprised that the one thing I thought we would definitely see is Ewing land, a big time high school center. I'm a little surprised that that hasn't happened yet. You could argue that Omir Yurt 7, who was a five-star in certain recruiting services, transferred in from NC State, that that could be the big 
center he's he's recruited i think recruiting has gone has improved over time keeping them is a different topic but as far as recruiting i think ewing and his staff has done a they've, they've done an okay job um i think it would be a big deal for him to get a big time center and i think this would be a pretty good guy so i think just overall are you surprised as well or did you kind of think it would go this way i just assumed he would land a big time center by you know going into year five i totally agree um plus i think losing wahab is kind of a you know a dent in the in the old reputation there um you know even though it was wahab's decision and not something anything that ewing did i mean by all accounts ewing de- developed wahab into a into a outstanding player who would have been all big east first team no doubt this this year but yeah the inability to land a, a five-star big uh is certainly odd given ewing's credentials yeah um, as far as all the offers that have been extended so far, obviously you'd like to see that. It shows that Georgetown is there's there's a pulse and they're they're active on their recruiting trail. But again, I'm not and there have been a lot of visits, a slew of visitors uh to campus recently. I think that a lot of that is post COVID exuberance, you know, these kids want to get out and see as many schools as possible. Um but uh, again I'm not getting too excited until we're in a final three. Yeah. And I've been singing from the, you know, I wouldn't say mountaintops, but at least the top of my street about local recruiting. And I, maybe I want to back away from that a little bit in that it'd be one thing if Maryland was just, you know, you know, cleaning it up with local recruits. Now I know they stole one of Georgetown's only local recruits in Wahab, not stole, but you know what I mean? He's, he's going there and there's probably different reasons for why he went there. Um, you know, maybe kids just don't want to stay local and that's okay. So after, you know, it, it's been a long time now. And there was a time where JT3 was rolling with the local recruits and that just hasn't happened. And maybe that's just not something, you know, I mean, think about it as yourself. Like you didn't stay local, right? Like, you right. know, I don't think that that's, I'm not sure that I want to die on that hill anymore. Like, I think obviously if you could pick any area in the country to get recruits from DC is a really good spot, but it's not like they're all staying at other schools. So, you know, it's not like they're all going to Maryland or, you know, UVA or, or even tech. Now they hired Mike Jones and maybe they're trying to fix that. So maybe I need to back off a little bit. I mean, like I said, I would love for them to do a better job in DC and Dante Harris is DC ish, you know? And Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know. if You'd like to, you'd like to be the big program in any region that when these kids grow up, they, they see the the brand, they see the, the gear around playgrounds and that that's the school they always want to play for when they're on the playground growing up. Um, th- that's changed. I think just the fact that every school is readily available, you know, you can see stuff on social media, highlights are everywhere. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I don't think that's a hill to die on. Um, but I do think it's still something that you want to establish. Uh, you know, it was nice to see, you know, during our biggest tournament run, uh, in March, uh, the Georgetown brand, you know, ascended, and it, w- it was kind of, oh, okay, we're back, you know, D.C., we're back, and that kind of thing, um, but to me, I don't care where the kids are, are, are from, so long as they can play. Yeah, I, uh, I guess that's, I guess I'm, I guess I'm just trying to say in a long way, like, I'm yeah. sort of, I'm sort of there now, like, it's like, you know what, like, like, the days of, like, you bringing in back-to-back classes with, like, Freeman and Ray, and then you're bringing in Clark, you know, you're just, you know, Starks, like it was just like, you're getting these top guys all the time locally. Well, that's just not happening for whatever reason. 
And I think that's, you know, it's just, that's okay. And like I said, it would be harder for me to swallow that if they were all going to Maryland. If they were all going to Maryland, be like, look, you got to fix this. Like, you got to reverse it. What's happening at Maryland, you need to happen here. But that's not what's happening. Would you like, you know, Dante Harris more if he were from Potomac versus, you know, Tennessee? Would I like him? I, w- I would like the idea of keeping the yeah. momentum going. Like I said, like I don't know how yeah. to get that momentum back, and it's you know it's obviously not my job to do that. Um, right. But I think that when I keep you know I follow a lot of different stuff on Twitter, and you know it is tough when you see Syracuse and Villanova recruiting the area so well. But some of those kids, like I get it. Like I would get why you would want to leave for a little bit. So I think until the winning comes back consistently, and not just a four day span. Like, in, you know, you, you become a team that's constantly as an at-large. I, I think local recruiting is going to struggle. So I don't think, whereas I was all about, man, if you don't do this, it's never going to work. It's like, nope, you got to make it work another way and then make it make the local work, if that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so it's been it's been a while. We've been talking for a while. Has there been any sort of, like, distress text from this uh, camp you, uh, you sent your kid off to? No, I... In fact, we've been waiting for, for signs of life. They they kind of promised us that they'd be sending emails and, and whatever, and we haven't received anything, which I guess is good. I guess the kids having fun. So, uh, look, I'm not I'm not worried about it. Uh, it it's more of a, a wife thing. Um, okay. so, uh, she, she'd like to hear from him, which I think is normal. Uh, Whatever it is, what it is. I'm picking them up in a week and a half, and everything will be fine. Everything will be fine, and Kente Corner's back, so the world is definitely, definitely healing. And you know what? Where I live, the cicadas are pretty much non-existent. It was you couldn't stop hearing them, and they're pretty much gone silent. So everything's kind of going well. Let's talk about that for just two seconds, because I do sure. believe. But the sure. cicada thing uh, doesn't really register here in New Orleans. But obviously, I follow a lot of people on social media in the DC area. And that's all that people talk about. Um, so what's the gist? So the gist is if you're kind of like in an, an older neighborhood, which is I'm in a house built in the sixties. Okay. So there's a lot of trees. I'm in Northern Virginia and there's a lot of trees. So if, if there hasn't been a lot of new development, these guys that, you know, they've been down there for 17 years, um, they come up and they kind of come up where these trees are. They've been like somehow surviving off of the roots, which is just blows my mind. It's one of the more interesting um, organisms I think in on earth that you can just chill for 17 years and come up and just wreak havoc. So then like they show up and um, they come out of this little shell and then they just like each cicada in itself is just kind of like nonsense but when you have like billions of them, they're just everywhere. So I, a lot of times I'm working from home, I go outside to take phone calls and just kind of pace on my sidewalk. And like for like two weeks span, like you're just getting like hit. Like they're just like flying on you. They're just a nuisance. I'll come back in my office. I'm sitting here for like an hour. And then there's this kid that's just crawling up my leg. Like it's just been chilling. So, oh, wow. Okay. So it's not just that they're making a noise thing. They're actually all around. Like they're flying around and landing yeah. on you and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, if you have dogs, I have two dogs. One of my dogs is just all about eating cicadas. The other one doesn't seem to really care. It's it's just, you know, and they're just there's just corpses. There's just bug corpses everywhere. But at the same time, there's enough of them in the trees just making this. It sort of sounds like there's just like a big alarm going off in the distance. I mean, it was legitimate for like 
three to four weeks. Now it's like a real small hum. But like I said, a cicada can't bother you. But when there's just billions of them, like it doesn't matter what you do. You know, some people are like, oh, every time I see a cicada, I kill it. Like you're accomplishing nothing. Like that's just like taking a piece of sand and, you know, throwing it away. Like there's just so much, just there's overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're harmless right? They're yeah. not doing anything. Yeah, they're harmless. Um, yeah, and then you got, like, these weird people out there that are, like, you know, having cicada tacos and deep-frying them and chocolate cicadas. Like, get out of here. Just, you know, come on, mm-hmm. stop. Just, you know yeah, what, like... It, it, you, can, you can go to restaurants and order, like, grasshoppers, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess that's just, that's just <laughs> born out of, like, you're so bored with whatever yeah. normally is on your menu. You're like, I'm going to be, like, the cool, the cool restaurant that does this. Like, I don't need to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't need to do mm-hmm. this. You know, what's the, um, what's the end game for the cicada though? Like they, so their season dies out. How how long does it last for? And then what yeah, happens? so I think like the peak of their season is about a month, and like there's like a beginning that's not that you know there's like just few of them. Then there's like it's like hot and heavy where they're you're you can't walk outside without them just flying into your face. And now where I am in Fairfax, we're in the uh, there's not that many around anymore. And they've come out, they've sang their song, they've mated somehow, like their larva like gets into the ground and they just survive for 17 years. I have no idea how that works. Fascinating. Uh, it's, it's something. And I, I remember them last time, you know, it's, it, you know, and people try and, you know, oh, well, it wasn't this bad last time. Like, Do you really remember? I just remember that they did this and it was annoying and now they're gone again. Well, it's almost been 17 years since Georgetown's last Final Four appearance. And that's why Jeff Green is so special. I'm glad that you brought that up because without him, we don't have that. And like I said, for as incredible as Mourning and Matumbo were and for what they did in the NBA, Jeff Green, Jeff Green, like if we didn't have Jeff Green, we're still talking about 85 for as as much as I know the school loves the 80s. Okay. Um, At least we have 2007. Well, let's go Nets. I, look, I grew up in New Jersey, and I, w- I went to Nets games. I, I recall vividly the Kenny Anderson, Derek Coleman, Drajan Petrovic era. Yeah. Um, and, you know, those were the games that made the biggest impressions on me growing up as a kid. Uh, I love the fact that the, the, the Brooklyn Nets sometimes bring back those tie-dye unis, which I think were the, the best <laughs> in the game, certainly ahead of their time. Um, and, uh, yeah, hopefully Jeff Green's uh, the Nets can win this series and, and move on to the finals, where I think they'd be a favorite if they get Kyrie back. And uh, it'd be really nice if Green could get a ring uh, before he retires. It would be nice, because I, I think for rings right now, we've got Alonzo got his kind of when he wasn't, he wasn't really Alonzo at that point. Mm-hmm. And then Jaron Jackson got one with the Spurs, and he was, you know, he was kind of yep. a 3 and D guy at the end of his career. But, you know... Yeah, it would be great. And for me, I went from always liking the Knicks with Ewing. Then I was kind of just following Iverson's career. I've never really been attached to an NBA team like I've been for other leagues or sports or whatever. So then it's like, uh, hey, guys, who am I supposed to follow here? Uh, you know, it, it was nice when Otto was with, was with the Wizards because it was local. But it's like, all right, all right, Jeff, let's do this. Yeah, Let's do this. Um, all right. Well, let's go next. Let's go Nets. You can find Andrew at Casual Hoya. I know he's got a lot of thoughts on Syracuse's TBT team. Um, you can you can check those out. I'm at Bobby Bancroft, and thank you for listening to Kente Corner. You can find us anywhere you find your podcasts. 
subscribe and rate. Send me a DM. A lot of you nice people have been DMing me. Where is Kente Corner? Well, the answer is it is right here. It is back. Andrew, We're thank back. you so much. We got to do this again soon. Corey's access.